Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Zephaniah in the opening chapter, beginning at verse 12 and continuing through verse 18. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. And it came to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency. When they say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore, their goods shall become booty, their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near, and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There, the mighty men shall cry out that this is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading is a lengthy parable told by Jesus in the Gospel according to Matthew in the 25th chapter beginning at verse 14 and continuing through verse 30. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For it is if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents in the same way. The one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, The master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents 
also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were such a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow, and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Well, there you have it. One of the predictably obligatory suggested texts for a stewardship Sunday. You all know the story. Masters put his servants in charge of his stuff while he goes off and then he comes back much later and he calls them to account for all that they've done in his absence. Two out of the three get a thumbs up for their efforts. One gets a thumbs down. We don't want to be that guy. But to keep the moral of this familiar story from veering off into the land of works righteousness, earning our way into the favor of the master, perhaps it would be helpful to consider Jesus' parable of the talents in the context not of, the ste- not of this season of stewardship, but rather in the context of this season of thanksgiving, for that's just around the corner in a mere 11 days, provided the governing authorities don't cancel it between now and then. If we view the story through the lens of thanksgiving, I think it helps to make the message both clearer and perhaps a bit more palatable. The implication of this tale is that the master is God, and the servants are, well, they're us. We are given a bunch of stuff, and we are ordered to take good care of it until such time as God meets with us again, and we give an account. So why was guy number three dealt so severely with? Well, perhaps it's as much to do with his attitude as it is as much as his offering. When he's given the chance to explain his actions surrounding the goods that he was given to manage, the fellow claims to have been scared of his master. He was so worried about disappointing him by messing up somehow 
that he defaulted instead to inaction, which the master defines and interprets as sloth. It's been said that no decision is a decision unto itself. Just as there are potential risks and consequences associated with an action, there are equal risks and consequences associated with an inaction. Burying goods in a hole and leaving them there to molder like John Brown's body doesn't look to me like the doings of someone who is pleased to be charged with caring for the master's stuff. The servant says as much when he admits he's afraid of his master. He knew him to be a cruel and a harsh taskmaster, one who might have been mercurial and vindictive, hot-tempered and demanding. To protect himself, therefore, he, he takes no chances whatsoever And essentially, he shirks the responsibility that was given to him. Now, this is, of course, a parable. And Jesus is putting into his story characters who represent others. So when we hear master, we think God. And when we hear servants, we think us. And so the question is, who do the servants think the master is or Who do we think God is? What sort of a God do we serve? That makes all the difference in the world in how we relate to, how we respond to him. If we sense that he is full of wrath and fury, we're likely to be afraid of him and try to keep from messing up, making any mistakes. If, however... We see God in a more benevolent light as, say, a a loving parent who is full of grace and mercy. We're likely to respond in a different fashion. Like the first two servants in the parable, we, we may desire to please him as our sign of affection for him in a marriage or other close relationship. Do you seek to keep from making the other party angry? Or do you seek to make the other party happy? If it's the former, I think you might want to reevaluate that relationship. And so it is with God. Are we aiming to please the master? Or are we simply trying to avoid getting on his bad side? I know that I want to please God on account of all that he's already done for me. He's given me everything. And I think he's given me everything so I can do more than simply go down into the dirt and wait for him to come back. I want to invest myself in God, in his work, in his mission, in his kingdom. A couple of weeks back, I heard an interesting Newcomer to Westover, give his testimony as he related his journey of faith that led him from a fatherless home to two tours aboard a a guided missile submarine to an undergraduate degree 
in Costa Rica, to teaching English in Afghanistan, to being a missionary in Tajikistan. It was like hearing someone reading from a Hemingway novel. But in the midst of regaling us with his many exploits, one of the things he said bears directly on this text. He said, a hundred years from now, we'll all be dead. And when in that new land up yonder, folks engage you in conversation, somewhere along the line, you're liable to hear the question, so what did you give your life for? That's really the heart of stewardship, I think. What did you give your life for? Did you give it digging holes to store valuables? Did you give it in investing yourself for the enrichment of your master? Did you give it as a thank offering to your maker, redeemer, sustainer, and friend? I know the way I want to answer that question. Richard Baxter, an English reformer, a few years older than our own Francis McKemmy, noted, we are trusted with our master's talents for his service in our places to do our best to propagate his truth and grace and church and to bring home souls and honor his cause and edify his flock and further the salvation of as many as we can. That's a beautiful summation of the spirit of the sort of gratitude that we're not only capable of, but that we are made to manifest. This work on behalf of the master to which we have been called is good and joyous work. Only when we see it as a burden of one that has been placed upon us by a a malevolent tyrant, only then do we object and skirt our obligation. Only when we live for our own comfort and convenience do we fail to become that which we were intended to become. Like the servant who fearfully buried the master's coin in the ground, it does not bring pleasure to God to see us do nothing at all with that which he has entrusted to us. As we approach the annual observance of the Thanksgiving Day holiday, then what better time for us to take stock yet again of those things with which we have been entrusted and what we're doing with them. Are we freely giving of that which we have been freely given? Or are we stowing it all away for safekeeping? I believe that God has given us these things intending that we should use them to enrich the world for his sake. Be not afraid, therefore, to share what you have been given, investing for the benefit of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, big or small, one talent or two talents or five talents, or even 10 talents or 100 talents. doesn't make a difference. It all matters. It's all been given to you. Now put it to work. Yes, of course, the master has the authority, the right, and the power to snap his fingers 
and accomplish all this work on his own. But that's not the way that our God has chosen to operate. Instead, he has created us from the dust of the earth and given us responsibility for being co-laborers in the field of the Lord, uniquely equipping and calling us to put to use the abilities and the resources that he has blessed us with, not to enrich ourselves, not so that we might disregard them, not so that we might simply use them to enrich us or fulfill our own desires, but rather so that we might glorify God. This is what the first two servants realized, and the third did not. That's why they were given the greater responsibilities, why their fellow slave was not. This is why, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism reminds us from the very beginning, about the chief end of man. What is the chief end of man? It asks and answers man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Using our resources, our time, our talents, our treasures, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls, to glorify God. That, that is the essence of stewardship. And that is what I pray we will all be reminded of again as we reflect on this parable of the talents. In the days and the weeks to come, as we are subjected to more and more advertisements from retailers that aim to convince us that happiness and love come to us in a box from their store, may we be reawakened to the truth that true happiness and love come to us not from a box, but from a cross. And that we can share the riches of this knowledge by investing ourselves in bringing honor and glory to the one who has made us precisely for that very purpose. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.